Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. Today is Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. This is edition number 18 of Season 8 as we continue working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. Today we come to Chapter 3 and Paragraph 5 as we continue looking at the decree of God, the decrees of God, specifically now looking more deeply into the issue of um, election or um, of God's predestinating work in salvation. Let's pray first and then we'll look at Paragraph 5 together. Our Father, as we come now to your word, we come asking that you by your spirit would teach us these things. We pray that your word would illumine our minds and our hearts, and knowing that we are powerless to understand the simplest of things given to us in your word without your help. And so we pray that you would give us um, eyes of faith to believe that which we are reading, that you would uh, not only increase our understanding of your word, but you would also use it to sanctify us completely. Be gracious to us even in this time, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, paragraph 5 really has three separate sections contained within it as we now look at matters related to mankind as it relates to God's decree or his predestinating work in saving a people to himself. Now, in paragraph 4, we considered a very general statement about angels and men that are predestinated and foreordained uh, to eternal life that really begins in paragraph 3 and carries into paragraph 4. But now in paragraph 5, we see both the statement, the reason, and the purpose for God's work of salvation and redemption and decreeing a people to himself. There we read, those of mankind that are predestinated unto life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his eternal and immutable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love, without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in any of them or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes moving him thereunto and all to the praise of his glorious grace. Now we see here the statement of the doctrine itself, those of mankind that are predestinated unto life, God had determined in eternity past who he would save um, to himself, who he would uh, choose out of the sea of humanity to rescue from their sin. Uh, We note uh, there in this opening paragraph that this decision, this decree, this predestinating work of God is immutable, and it's done according to the secret counsel and good pleasure of his own will. Well, we also note that this is done in Christ. That is to say that the covenant of grace, the covenant made um, in Genesis 3, was, was made with Christ that he might then give to him a people uh, by virtue of his redeeming work as the God-man. Now, there's a number of things here to look at, but I guess it would suffice, it would be easiest just to let Scripture Uh, plainly speak for itself when we are considering just this statement of the doctrine of the statement of the purpose the statement of the um, of the issue we look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 there we read even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him 
Then jumping down to verse 9, we again read, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And then verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestinated, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so while people may argue against this doctrine, they might try, as they might, to reject the doctrine of election as given to us in Scripture, that God, according to his own free purpose and will, in his secret counsel, before the foundation of the world was laid in eternity past, had determined to save a people, specifically and clearly, de- definitively, and he's determined to do that in Christ. And so if you know Christ even today, if you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God had determined before the before, the, before all worlds, to rescue him. Now, the, chapter 1 of Ephesians tells us <clears throat> the reason for doing that. <clears throat> He's done it because of his great love for us. In love, he predestinated us, Verse uh, there at the end of verse, uh, uh, verse 4 and going into verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That is to say, God's love, which had no beginning, for the elect, for those whom he would save, it has also no ending. And so God demonstrates his love to us in giving to us Jesus Christ. He proves that love by giving to us Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to realize and understand that God did this out of his mere free grace and love without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in any of them or any other thing in the creature as conditions are causing causes moving him thereunto. That is to say, simply put, that God did not look down through the quarter of time and see you doing good things. And then therefore he responded uh, by saving you. He did not look down through the quarter of time and see you choosing Christ, and then therefore that he chose you. Uh, that makes man the arbiter of God's will and purpose. It does not make God the sovereign God as the Bible has revealed himself Uh, to us. No, indeed, we love him because he's first loved us. No man can come to the Father unless the Father draws him to himself. He does that through the work and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is applied then, therefore, by the Holy Spirit who makes alive the dead sinner. And so when we read in Romans chapter 8, a passage that Those who reject this doctrine uh, like to quote, uh, but they do so wrongly. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse uh, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, uh, those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, one commentator puts it like this the purpose of God in predestination and foreknowledge, it is a plan of sovereign saving grace, entitling all who now believe to trace their faith and salvation back to an eternal decision by God to bring them to glory and to look forward to that glory as a guaranteed certainty. The destiny appointed for believers, conformity to Christ and glorification with him, flows from divine foreknowledge. Here it is persons, not facts or events, that God is said to foreknow. 
God does not foresee events, but Paul's point God does see uh, foresee events, but Paul's point is that God has of his own initiative chosen the object of his act of his active saving love. No implies intimate personal relationship, not merely awareness of facts and circumstances. Now let me give you a couple illustrations, just really one would do, but in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. This is an intimate knowledge. Adam having an intimate knowledge of his own wife. Again, in Amos um, uh, Amos chapter uh, 3 and um, verse uh, 2, Amos chapter 3 and verse 2, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Again, this is a personal, intimate knowledge and relationship with the person. Matthew 1, 25. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25, the details of the birth of Christ, but jumping into the well, let's just start in verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. In other words, there was not this intimate union, intimate relationship. And thus, this which God foreknew is this that he chose to do, and that is to enter into an intimate, close, personal relationship with sinners, the elect. And by virtue of that calling he places upon them, he then calls them to be justified, and those whom he justifies, he will then glorify. And so it's not because of anything we decided to do. It's, because, it's not because of anything we might or might not do. Just as Paul says in Romans chapter 9, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. When, when was that? Before they had done anything good or bad. Now, why would God do all this? Well, the confession tells us clearly he does this all to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. There we read, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then also in verse 12, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now God has done this to bring him glory. He will not share his glory with anyone. He will not share this work of redeeming a people with anyone. He has done the work. He is the one who accomplishes it. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No, indeed, God receives all glory, all honor, all praise for, for determining, for purposing to save a people to himself, but he's the one who does it, and we are the recipients of that saving work that God has wrought. And so, how should we respond to this electing love of God placed upon sinners, and which He had no reason He He did not have to do. He was under no compulsion whatsoever to save us. He could have left us to ourselves to die in our sin and misery, and we would have received the just uh, consequences of that uh, of that state in that action, and we would have been separated from him for all eternity. But instead, in eternity past, he determined to save us. He sent Christ to rescue us, and he accomplishes that. He is accomplishing that. How might we respond? Well, we respond by giving God all the praise and the glory and honor for our salvation. You can take no credit 
whatsoever for the fact that you're a Christian today. There's not a shred of credit you can take. You simply stand in awe of the reality that God has rescued sinners, and He does it. He's done it for me. He's done it for you. And it humbles us before Him that He could just have easily and just as uh, and, and justly so simply passed us by and left us to ourselves. And so we stand in thankful acknowledgement of God's grace and glory. And it should motivate us. It should move us. Because these things are true, to live to His glory in every area of our lives. Oh yes, we're going to fall short of it. But we continually confess these things. We continue to go forward. We continually putting these things behind us and, 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 and striving forward, going forward, laboring by all the means that God has given us to serve Him. But it ought to move us in that direction. We're going to see more of that as we get to the end of this chapter. But for now, it's suffice to, it's suffice to say that the response of any reasonable Christian to the fact that God, out of His mere love, placed upon them from all eternity, in Christ, decided to save them from their sin, should humble us, should cause us to want to serve Him all the more. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Thursday edition, when we go further into chapter 3, may the Lord help you today. May you walk in His ways, read His Word, pray, and strive to do all that He has told you. God bless.